It's good to see all of you today. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, amen? Yeah, it's really good to see you. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. The book of Mark chapter 9. We're going to read from verses 14 to 29. If you do not have a Bible, we're all about, uh, you know, getting into each other's personal space. So just uh, lean over and ask, hey, can I look along with you? We don't put our... We don't put the scripture up on the screen because we want you to either bring your own Bible or look along with the person next to you. And so we're going to look at verses at Mark nine fourteen to 29. And today I'm going to speak to you on the topic faith in faith. Faith in faith. Faith in faith. Mark nine fourteen to 29. I'm going to read it. And you can just read along with me. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. It's talking about Jesus. And he, Jesus, asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him immediately, it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. Whoa. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can. All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit. I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, He is dead. They thought Jesus killed him. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Bow your heads. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your words are spirit and they are life. And God, we pray today that your spirit would move to bring life in this place. God, as the word goes out, Lord, would you break off all unbelief? Would you break off discouragement and despair? Would you silence the voice of the evil one? And God, would you begin to speak your truth, God? I pray that, Lord, as I speak, would I not speak on my own authority, but would I speak upon the authority that you have given to us freely, Jesus? Lord, we exalt you in this place, and we say, Holy Spirit, would you come? 
Awaken every heart. Awaken every mind. I bind every work of distraction. I bind every work that would close our hearts. And I just speak fruit to come today. We thank you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Like I said, I want to talk to you about faith in faith. Today, the Lord wants to inject faith into your faith. He wants to inject confidence in your confidence. He wants to give you faith in your faith. Because for so many of us, we have faith in our unbelief and unbelief in our faith. We are insecure about our confidence, but we have a lot of confidence in our insecurity. Aren't we? We know what we don't know. We know, we know that real, real good, right? I know what I don't know. I know I don't know. We believe that we don't believe. But today he wants to start injecting faith in the measure of faith that he has already given you. See, the problem is most of us have never stopped to consider what we actually believe. We spend most of our time thinking about what we doubt. We spend most of our time trying to build up areas in our life where we doubt, but we don't really take inventory of the faith that we actually possess. And so we have unbelief in our faith and a lot of faith in our unbelief. A lot of faith. We doubt our faith, but man, we got some faith about our doubts. I am totally sure that I doubt that is possible. I am 100% positive that I don't believe that Jesus is going to move in my life. I got a lot of questions. What do you believe? We are far more intimate with what we lack than what we possess. We are far more intimate with what we need rather than what we have already been freely given by the cross. You see this all the time. We get before God in the place of prayer and we're wondering, God, are you even really hearing me? Am Am I even able to come before you? Do you even want? And we have all this unbelief about the faith that we possess. When we pray, Our prayers, we spend most of our time groveling about, Lord, we don't believe. Help us so much because we don't believe and we're having so much trouble and we're struggling. We're having such a tough time. God, help me, please. And we are 100% sure of our struggles and not so sure about our victory. Today, God wants to give faith in your faith. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need some faith in your faith. (laughs) You need some confidence in your confidence. In our passage today, we see Jesus is walking up on a situation that has already got out of hand, right? He's walking up and there is a crowd of people. His disciples are there. He he can pick them out. You know, he's like, oh, there's Peter. Peter, always talking. Always talking, there's Peter. I see them all right there. He walks up on his disciples. The situation has already gotten out of hand. People are arguing all around. And Jesus walks up and he's like, hold on, hold on. What y'all arguing about? And the man comes to him and he says, teacher, let's look in the passage. Teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit 
that makes him mute. I want to pause there for a second. You know, there is a spirit that makes us mute. I noticed this in the house of God because before service starts, people are the most talkative they can possibly be. But as soon as the worship song starts, and then the closing prayer comes and then you're happy again. But as soon as the prayer time starts, you ever notice that you ever asked yourself that, you know, I'm not saying any of you like that. I'm, I'm talking about another church. You ever sat there and said, wait, why is it that as soon as the pastor says amen at the end, I'm, I'm just happy. I want to talk to everyone. Let's go get some pizza. Let's go get some chicken wings. I'm having such a great time. But as soon as the worship song starts, I spend all my time looking at the chair in front of me. It's because there's a demonic spirit that makes us mute. Satan, he cares about the words that you speak. And he knows that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, that you will experience God's power in ways that you never have before. But so many of us, we walk into the house of God and the first thing we do is shut up. That's because Satan knows about the power of your words more than you do. Prayer time. Just waiting till the prayer time is over. He's still talking. Oh, man, I probably got 20 updates on my news feed by now. But then as when the service is over, hey, what's going on? How are things going? Yeah, this is so good to see you. It's like, I could have sworn you were not that introverted. It's like all of a sudden you become the biggest extrovert. At the end of service, during service, everyone is just so introvert. It's because there's a demonic spirit that makes us mute. If you're wondering why that happens, I want to tell you it's Satan. He knows about the power of your voice. The Bible says in Job 20, 28, that you will decide and declare a thing and it will be done for you. You know that if you decide something in your mind and you declare it with your mouth, it will be done. That life and death is in the power of the tongue. If you will stand and worship God, God will honor the things that you declare. If you declare that he is your salvation, he is your healer, he is your breakthrough, and you declare that over your life, God will manifest breakthrough in your life. There's so much power in your words. But that's another message. That's not what I want to talk about. Yeah, back to the story. Jesus comes out. He finds that the father has brought his son to see Jesus. And, but it says that instead he brought the son to the disciples, right? He said, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And verse 18, so I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. So here's the story that he brings his son and his son's all mute. He's foaming at the mouth. He's going back and forth. And he's like, I desperately need my son to get some prayer. I see, ooh, I see Peter, James, and John. I know they roll with Jesus. I know that the disciples, the disciples during that time, if you wanted prayer from a man of God, but you couldn't reach him, you go to his disciples. Why? Because you know that his disciples move in the same authority, power, and wisdom that their rabbi does. That's what it means for you to be a disciple. It means that you hold the same power, wisdom, and authority that Jesus does. So they're like, you know what? I'm going to go to the disciples and get myself some prayer. So they bring him to the disciples, and the disciples, 
Oh, snap. Peter, this is a serious case. Let's pray for this right now. Oh, man, things got worse. Let's pray one more time. Nothing happened. Jesus rolls up on the scene. Everyone's arguing because this kid is still in the same spot as he was before. And, G- and he's like, I brought him to your disciples, but nothing happened. And then what is Jesus's response? I love Jesus's response. Verse 19. He says, I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And Jesus says, oh, faithless generation. How much longer am I to deal with you? Now, every time I read this in the past, I got like so convicted. I thought he was talking to me. But I just imagine the picture of it, right? Jesus is here. The disciples are here. Here's the father and the boy. And he's like, hey, I asked, I asked your disciples to pray for it and nothing happened. And Jesus is like, oh, faithless generation. He turns to his disciples. You, you didn't, you prayed and nothing happened. How much longer do I have to deal with you guys? You know, Jesus said that because Jesus had full expectation that his disciples would be able to cast it out. Jesus knew that if any situation came before his disciples, Jesus had faith in the measure of faith that they had. That's why he reacted the way he did. That's why he's kind of frustrated. I want to tell you, Jesus can get frustrated. Some of you may read this thinking like, he's like, oh, faithless generation. How long am I to deal with you? No, Jesus ain't like that. He's like, yo, what's wrong with you guys? You knuckleheads. Don't you know you are my disciples? How much longer I got to? You know what? How much longer am I to deal with you guys? Bring him to me. That's exactly what he says. How much longer do I have to deal with you? Just bring him here. That's because Jesus had full expectation that the disciples would be able to handle whatever situation they had. Jesus had full 100% faith in their faith. I don't think some of you are hearing me. See, the first thing you need to recognize today is that Jesus has faith in the measure of faith he's given you. The Bible says that Jesus is the author of our faith and Jesus does not write unbelief. He is the author of your faith. He doesn't write doubt. He doesn't write unbelief. We see this in Luke chapter 8. It's a famous story as well. They're going from one side of the sea to the other. And Jesus, they're right there at the boat. And Jesus says, hey, what's up, guys? Let's go to the other side. He's talking to a bunch of people. Some of them have been fishermen, all right? And they're going across the boat. All of a sudden, a storm breaks in. Right. A storm breaks in. They're halfway through. They realize they're too far to go back, too far to go forward. And they're like, oh, snap. Oh, snap. We're going to die. Now, now I realize when I inject myself in this story, I probably would have done the same thing. You know, like because especially because my swimming skills are not top notch. I'm being vulnerable, you know, but they run to Jesus. It's funny because Jesus takes a nap. Right. Jesus takes a nap. He's like, guys, take us to the other side. And he just takes some NyQuil and he goes to sleep. And then they're on their way across and then they hit a storm. And as they're hitting a storm, things start getting crazy. And what do the disciples do? They go to Jesus and they wake him up. And they say, Master, Master, did you leave us out here in this storm to die? And then Jesus gets up, you know, (laughs) rebukes the storm. Be calm in the name of Jesus. In my name, probably. He, He rebukes the storm. 
the storm calms down and then he turns is here's the most interesting part he turns to his disciples and says where is your faith why did he respond like that it was because jesus fully expected that he had given them enough faith to get from one side of the sea to the other and their response was more Jesus being shocked. Wait, hold on, guys. Do you understand the kind of faith that I've deposited in your life? See, that's the word of the Lord to you today. Do you understand the kind of faith deposit that God has put inside of you? Most of us talk about how we, we don't have enough faith to endure the storm. But Jesus looked at them and he said, hold on. Where is your faith? That meant that Jesus was saying to his disciples, I have given you enough faith to either endure the storm or rebuke the storm. Why are you waking me up? I'm going to take a nap because I trust you. You know, I'm, a, I'm the type of person, I have a lot of trouble sleeping on road trips. We took a, especially if I'm sitting in the passenger side, I cannot fall asleep. We were going down to Busan last week and I was sitting in the passenger side and Pastor Christian was driving, right? And I, I tried to go to sleep. But every time I tried to go to sleep, I would wake back up. Because if I'm honest, I did not have faith. <laughs> I just needed to stay awake because I didn't know what would happen. You know? And so just in case I was needed on the way down, I don't know what I was going to do from the passenger side. I'm like hitting the passenger brake. You know? I don't know what I'm going to do, but... I can't go asleep. Why? Because I don't trust that whoever's driving is going to get us there safely. But Jesus falls asleep. Why? Because he had complete confidence in the people who were driving the boat. He had complete confidence that whatever happened, if a storm came, if lightning flashed, if a pack of dolphins jumped up and ate the boat, like it didn't matter. Jesus knew that they were going to make it. Jesus had faith in their faith. See, today you need to understand Jesus has faith in your faith. See, Jesus has faith in your faith. Jesus has confidence in your confidence. The question is, do you? Do you have faith in the measure of faith that God's given you? Do you have confidence in that faith? Too many of us are walking around doubting our faith, right? And we have that complete faith in our doubts. And, and we don't spend time confessing, meditating, thinking about the measure of faith that we have. Instead, when we come before God and in every situation we're in, we're constantly confessing our need, our lack, and how pitiful we are. Because we think that pity moves the resources of heaven. Let's keep reading it. Let's look at the story. Chapter, the same chapter, verse 20. Let's continue. Jesus, you know, he looks at his disciples. Come on, guys. All right, sir, bring him to me. Verse 20. And when they brought the boy and they brought the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father a question of clarification. How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. Okay, he answers the question, but he wants to tell Jesus a bit more. Look. Verse 22, it's happened from childhood and it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. Like when you read it, read it, understanding this is a real story. Imagine his emotion. 
from childhood. And it's often cast him, my son, into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, if you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on him and help us. It sounds like an awful situation, right? I mean, how many of us have experienced something like this? I don't think there's many people in this room that could say that a demonic spirit comes upon them and throws them into the fire and they get third degree burns and then they come out and then the demonic spirit throws them into the water and they almost drown. I mean, you can imagine for a father seeing this happen to his son, feeling so helpless, feeling like what's going on? See, the father thought, but then listen to his plea at the end. If you can do anything, have compassion and help us. The father thought that the desperate nature of his situation was what was going to move the resources of heaven. The father thought that if he presented to Jesus how desperate his situation really is, that's what's going to move God's heart. And that's what's going to make this situation change, right? Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion. We can be just like that sometimes, can't we? We think if we give God a pity party, we send him a couple invitations, that's what's going to make him move in our lives. Have compassion on me. You know, there's one other place where we see someone yelling out, have compassion on me to Jesus, and it's blind Bartimaeus, and he's yelling out, son of David, have mercy on me. Right? So we think, yeah, that's a good plea to have before Jesus. But blind Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, still said it wrong. The blind guy who has a long name, starts with a B, yelled out. But his situation is very different than the father's. Why? Because when blind Bartimaeus was yelling out, people were telling him to be quiet. People were telling him to be quiet. And he said, I won't shut up. I hear him. He's around here somewhere. Jesus, come have mercy on me. Very different than if you can have compassion on us and help us. Many of us think that if I can explain to Jesus how much my situation sucks, it will compel him to act. If I can get as many people around me and tell them how much I've been struggling and let them know with my facial expressions and the way that I act that I'm really having a tough time, that's what's going to compel God's power to move. But that's not faith. That's not faith at all. See, many of us, like I said earlier, are more intimate with our lack than what we have. We're more intimate with our need than our faith. And this presents a key issue in our Christian faith because the kingdom of God does not move based on need. It moves based on faith. The resources of heaven and what God wants to do. If you read out the Gospels, you'll see that almost every time where Jesus healed somebody, every time Jesus moved and something supernatural happened, it was always a response to faith, not need. And so this is an issue because many of us think that if I can give God a pity party, that's what's going to make him move. That's how I'm going to get my breakthrough. That's how it's going to go. So I'm just going to tell you, God, how bad things are. But you know what? There are tons of needs in this world. And this may insult some of you. There are tons of needs in this world that God does not go and fulfill. There are tons of areas in this world where there is lack that God does not move upon. 
Why? Because God doesn't respond to need. He responds to faith. See, and, and we see this in verse 23. This father comes to him. He gives him this story. I'm, everything's so bad. My son's getting thrown in the fire. He's getting thrown into the water. And Jesus, he's like, if you can, have compassion on us. And Jesus looks at him and says, wait, if you can? If you can? All things are possible for one who has a lot of lack. One who has a lot of needs, one who has a lot of wants, one who's having a tough time. All things are, no, one, all things are possible for one who believes. And this word in the Greek, this one who believes is very different because it actually signifies that this person's identity, the way you signify, the way you identify this person is by their faith. When you think about yourself, when you identify who you are, do you use your faith as the metric? Or do you use your lack? Do you use your faith? Do you have that kind of confidence in the faith that you have? See, a person who believes is a person who has faith in their faith, who makes their confession always what they believe. Their identity is not centered around what they lack, but what they have, which is faith. There was a brother down in, in California. He's a close friend of mine. And... Uh, He's a close friend of mine, and the other day on Facebook, he posted a picture of someone breaking into his car. Now, there wasn't like a person bre- actually breaking in, but the window was, was burst through, and, uh, and he posted it up. And he was like, man, I was at a prayer meeting, and someone broke into my car. And I kind of laughed because he had some, like, pomegranate grapefruit lotion, hand lotion in, in the picture. <laughs> so I sent him a message. I was like, nice hand lotion broke. Keep the hands nice and soft. Um, but anyways, <laughs> he, he totally laughed. He's totally embarrassed. And, uh, but what struck me was his attitude. He was like, man, someone broke into my car. But it's all good. What can they take? What can they take from me? My, my father's my provider. You know what? I believe that anything that was taken is going to come right back to me. I talked to him about it. I was like, man, you seem like you're in a good mood. You just got robbed. <laughs> like earth to you, bro. You just got like, you know, he's like, no, nah, man, my identity is not in what I lack. My identity is what I, in what I have. Like snaps. Oh, oh, you know, let me say this. We like to think that this person who has their identity in, in faith it means that this person has a mountain of faith. This person is a giant in faith. But I want you to hear what the Bible says. Matthew seventeen twenty. It says, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. If you have a mustard seed of faith, if you, just a little, just a little bit of faith, nothing is impossible for you. Jesus says a similar thing to the man. Anything is possible for one who believes. But many of us think that we need a mountain of faith to move a mustard seed. When really all you need is a mustard seed of faith to move a mountain. Are you hearing me today, church? 
We think that we need this huge aspect of faith and I've got to puff myself up in faith. But Jesus looks at the deposit in your life, no matter how small, and he says, ooh, it's genuine. Ooh, it's true. And it can move mountains. That's what's inside of you. And Jesus, we think we've got it twisted, but Jesus responds to that kind of faith. Let's continue in the story. Verse 24. Immediately, the father of the child cries out. Jesus tells him this. Anything is possible for one who believes. And the father cries out. Famous verse, right? I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus saw a crowd running together, and he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Here's a question. What do you think Jesus responded to in this passage? Do you think he responded to the man's faith or to his unbelief? I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe Jesus didn't even hear that last part. The moment he heard him say, I believe, he's like, ooh, that's enough. We think that God, I believe, help my unbelief. And God's like, oh, snap, yeah, I need to help that unbelief. I need to work on that unbelief. Oh, man, you got so much unbelief. All oh, that little bit of faith. Oh, man, what are we going to do about this? Oh, I got to help this faith. I got to build this up. I got to build this up because you're so weak. Oh, my gosh. He didn't even move based upon his unbelief. He moved based upon his faith. And see, Satan is all about trying to get us to focus on our unbelief rather than our faith. Because if Satan can attack us in ways and in situations to get us to focus on what we lack, what we need, what we feel like we don't have, then we do not focus on what we do have. And what happens is we become double-minded. That's what this guy was. I believe, but help my unbelief. And the Bible says that a double-minded man, he can't presume that he would receive anything from God. He's unstable in all his ways. You ever felt those times where you are unstable? One day you're having a good day. The next day you're having a bad day. One day you're having a, and you just feel like you're going back and forth, tossed back and forth. That's because you're focusing way too much on your unbelief and not enough on your faith. You got to start focusing on what you possess rather than what you lack. You got to start speaking words of life over yourself, not words of death. You can't start, how are you doing, man? I'm struggling. My workplace is hard. This all sucks. That's not the language of faith. You know what you're doing in those moments? You're giving so much time to what you don't have. And rather, what you do have, what God wants to use and what God is wanting to respond to, it's not getting any attention. So instead, you've got to start saying, I'm not even going to focus on what's going wrong. I'm just going to speak. No, you know what? Things may be going bad right now, but I know, God, that you're moving. Things may seem to be really bad right now, but God, I know that you have given me a measure of faith that can move mountains. So I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm not going to be in despair because I know that the faith that you've given me, the faith that I possess is true. It's not a weak faith. It's strong. And I want to say that God does not, we think we like to compare ourselves in terms of faith. Oh, that person's got strong faith. I've got weak faith. But the moment you come to faith in Christ, we all get that measure of faith. We all get the same consistency of faith. And it's pure all the way through. We like to think that we have, you know, I'm 50% faith and 50% unbelief. But that's deception. 
you know, to talk about that mustard seed again. You know, a mustard seed. He said you have faith like a mustard seed. And, you know, a mustard seed can only produce like a mustard tree or whatever you call it. A mustard seed does not create an apple tree. A mustard seed cannot create something else except for what it's intended to create. And your faith only can produce faith. When you focus on your faith, it does not ever produce unbelief. Some of us think, what if I believe I'm going to be in such a worse place than I ever was before? What if I step out? What if I start saying ridiculous things? What if I start believing you? And we think that if we believe God, it's going to lead us in a place where we have no faith. But the truth of the matter is, is if you will focus on your faith, it always results in more faith. You got to have faith in your faith. I'm going to go over three ways to strengthen our faith in faith. Three ways to strengthen our belief in what we already possess. Verse 28, it says, when he entered the house, after he cast out the the demon from the kid, his disciples asked him, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, listen, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Notice he didn't say anything but praying, meaning that it was not event oriented. It was not based upon, oh, I can drive it out right now, but you can't drive it out. He said this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, meaning that if you want to grow in your faith, in the faith that you have, you've got to be committed to the place of prayer. You've got to be committed to praying and conversing with God when no one else is around. And specifically, three ways that you can do that in prayer. If you don't pray, I want to tell you, if you don't pray, if you don't spend that time learning how to pray, learning how to converse with God, if you don't spend that time, then you will never grow to recognize the faith that you possess. Instead, you'll continue to stay in a place where all you see is lack. That'll be your newsfeed every day is about how everything is bad. And how nothing's moving on your behalf. So you got to be committed in the place of prayer. And here's the first thing you got to do when you're in prayer. First thing you got to do is recognize who you're with. It says that when Jesus was crucified on the cross, the veil was torn in the temple. The veil that was separating the Holy of Holies, separating the people from the most secret place of intimacy with God. That means that each one of us through Christ have full access to God. And this God, this Jesus, he's the God of the universe. All right. He's the creator God. He spoke out all things by a word. He holds all power and authority in his hands. There's nothing that is too great for him. See, when this man with this father with the son was standing before Jesus, he said, if you can do anything, have compassion. And Jesus, he got a little tick. If you can, do you recognize who you are with? Do you recognize when you get in your place of prayer, do you recognize that you're standing before God? That there's nothing too great for him, that there's nothing that can overtake him. Satan tried to rebel against him and he fell like lightning. That's why Satan don't, he doesn't try to attack God. He attacks us because he tried that once and it didn't go out so well. <laughs> there is nothing in heaven and on earth that he does not rule over and that he cannot vanquish. Do you recognize who you're with? 
Do you recognize sometimes our, our situation seems so great that we don't recognize who we're actually standing before? And we let our unbelief be the thing that we give all this attention to, not realizing that by our faith, we can come before him. And whatever we say in faith, he accomplishes. Ooh, that's powerful. I don't know about you. That's powerful. That's, that excites me. The second thing you need to do is you've got to focus on what you believe and not what you doubt. So many times I've heard people pray and they've been trained to pray all about what they lack and, what they, and all about what they doubt. And not learning how to declare in faith what they believe. And I actually think that just us as human beings, we are wired to focus on the negative rather than the positive. I read this study by a psychologist. And uh, I'm going to read some. I'm going to read from it because it really spoke to me about this. Uh, these psychologists, they did this uh, study where they took these words, uh, these English words for emotion. And... I'm going to read 24 of them from an alphabetical list. These are English words that for emotion. And I want to see if you notice any patterns. Angry, annoyed, appalled, apprehensive, delighted, disappointed, ecstatic, excited, ashamed, bewildered, betrayed, confused, confident, cheated, cross, depressed, emotional, envious, embarrassed, furious, Frightened, great, happy, horrified. 24 of the most common emotion words in English, only six of them were positive. They actually, they, in a more exhaustive story, study, they, an, they analyzed all the words in English, all the emotive words in English. There are 558 of them, and they found that 62% of them are negative, and only 38% of them are positive. Meaning that we don't have a way to even articulate when things are good. You ever thought about that? When things are going well in your life, how's things going? Awesome. Oh, great. How things are going? Really awesome. <laughs> but when things are going bad, you've got words for days. You can write novels about how you've got unbelief. You can write novels about how you're struggling. You can write novels about how everything in your life is bad. And we always focus so much, even before God, in the place of prayer. That's all we talk about is how everything is bad. Everything is not good. And we need you to come. And we need this. And we think that that is how God moves. But God doesn't move based on unbelief. He only moves based on faith. So when you come before God, you've got to start deciding, I'm not going to focus on what I doubt. I'm going to focus on what I believe. And check it out. If you will start focusing on what you believe rather than what you doubt, you will start believing where you doubt. If you will focus on what you believe rather than what you doubt, you will start believing where you doubt. What do you believe? Well, I believe that God is all powerful. I believe that he's the creator of God. I believe that he has all power and authority. I believe that everything is under his feet. I believe that I'm his, I'm his child. He's my father. He's paid a hefty price for me. I know that I am his and he is mine. Oh, but I'm struggling with my finances. 
I'm having a tough time in waiting for my relationship. My family seems to be struggling. And then we start to focus on all of that and completely forget. He's the creator God. He made your family members. He can change their heart in an instant. I'm in such a tough place. I feel so alone. I feel like no one's around me. Do you know who your God is? See, if you'll focus on what you believe rather than what you doubt, you'll start believing. After a while, you'll, you'll come to the conclusion. Wait, hold on, hold on. I'm having trouble with my finances. He holds all power. All, all The cattle on a thousand hills belongs to him. All the silver and gold is his. He gives me the ability to produce wealth. Why am I worrying about my bills? He said, don't give any thought to where what I eat, drink, or where I live. Why am I worrying about where I'm going to move? You will start believing where you doubt. If you will focus on what you believe rather than what you doubt. (laughs) The last thing. So you recognize who you're with. You focus on what you believe and not what you doubt. And then the last thing is that you actually exercise your faith that you already possess, not by continually praying for yourself, but by praying for other people. See, once you start coming to this realization of who you're with and the measure of faith that he's given you and you start deciding in the place of prayer, I'm not going to pray for myself all night. I'm not going to spend all this time being all focused on me, but I'm going to pray for someone else. All of a sudden, what begins to happen is you begin to see God move. And I think the way God's made us is weird because, well, it's great, but it's a little weird. Because the funny thing is that when we pray and we see God move in someone else's life, it strengthens our faith. But when we pray for ourselves and don't pray for anyone else, it almost seems like the opposite thing happens. And we start comparing ourselves to other people and thinking that, oh, my my measure of faith can't do anything. Man, they're so great. I'm so weak. I'm nothing. That's because we spend all our time looking in the mirror just talking about ourselves. I'll share share a crazy story. This is a mission send-off service, right? And we're going to, our team is, the team I'm on, we're going to Manipur, India. And this is something God's been speaking to me about having confidence in faith, confidence in the measure of faith that you have. And over the past couple of weeks, I've been praying for our team because we're going into Manipur. Manipur at one point was a conflict region in India. There's still some internal strife and tribal warfare. And so we're going in and I've went there once before and I was just praying for our team. And I just felt like God was saying, you know, that he wanted to re- release reconciliation amongst the tribes there. Like these are tribes that have been fighting for a long time that he's through our visit. He's going to start to move the cogs for reconciliation in the tribes. And I'm, I'm praying this out as I'm praying for Manipur. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. This is ridiculous. I'm starting to think, God, I don't I don't even believe this. Why am I saying this? But I just felt him nudge me and I felt like I'm saying, no, Marcus, just pray it. Lord, I just declare reconciliation. I just declare, God, that you move powerfully. And then I was praying for our team, and I just felt like, I felt like God was saying, when we go to the orphanages, because we're going to spend time in orphanages there and around tons of children, God, bring your presence in such a powerful way. Speak to them, God. You said in Joel 2, you pour out your spirit. 
and the young men would have visions. The old men would dream dreams. Lord, part your spirit and give these children in these children homes vision for the rest of their lives. Inspire them that they can be the next generation of politicians, economists, teachers, that they can be the next generation of leaders to transform India. I'm praying this thinking, what? I'm like, man, this is awesome, but what? (laughs) And then I start praying for our team. And I'm praying for our team, and I just pray over our team. Lord, I just feel, I just feel like I don't, I didn't know, like I didn't hear the audible voice of God. Pray this. Say this next. This is what I want you to pray. Good job. <laughs> like, I didn't sense that. I just sensed it was a thought. It was a thought. And so I just said it out. God, you know what? Take our team members to a whole new level. And this past Friday, we were at our Friday fire, which is our, our Friday prayer meeting we have twice a month here in the house. And we, we were praying and at the end, Pastor Christian, our lead pastor, has all the missions teams come up. And he has our team specifically stand in one area. And he's like, everyone hold hands. It's okay. We'll hold hands. And he's like, he's going to pray for us. And all of a sudden, he starts praying for the presence of God to come. And, you know, when God comes, things happen because he's God. And stuff just starts getting a little crazy. And all of a sudden, I hear Pastor Christian, even earlier in the year, the verse the Lord gave me was Luke 8, 418, the the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God for myself personally. And so we're sitting there praying. And then all of a sudden, I hear Pastor Christian screaming into the mic at the top of his lungs. Lord, may it be the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's cool. That's a coincidence. That's, that's interesting. Okay, all right, never mind, you know, and I just keep praying. And then all of a sudden he comes over to our team and he starts praying hands. Our team is like, I just declare reconciliation in Manipur, reconciliation amongst the tribes. And I'm like, okay, all right, this is getting weird. <laughs> this is getting really weird right now. Okay, all right, okay. I mean, two out of two, two out of two. He can... <laughs> he's going to miss the next ones. Like, it's going to happen, like, you know. And he's like. He's just saying reconciliation amongst the tribes. God's going to move powerfully among the tribes. And I'm thinking, okay, that's cool. You know, two out of two. You know, I can win two straight in rock, paper, scissors. So, you know. <laughs> and then I'm standing there and the two people standing next to me, Pastor Aaron, who's Pastor Christian's wife, comes up to one and she starts laying hands on him. And she's praying for him. And she starts praying, Lord, I just pray. His brother's name is Samuel. She's praying. Lord, I just pray that you use him like Samuel to call forth the Davids. And then she starts screaming, you will call forth the children. And God's presence will come in such a way in which the children will receive their divine callings from God. And they will be called into their ministries, into their... And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, okay, all right. Okay, something's happening right now. Something's happening. I think God is here, you know. God is doing something. You know, like, okay. And then all of a sudden, and then she, she skips me. She skips me. Okay, first of all, why you got to skip me? She skips me, and she goes to the person next to me, and she starts praying, God, I just declare that every team member is going to go to a whole new level. And I'm like, okay, all right, someone is reading my journal. Someone has installed a camera 
into my prayer closet, into my secret time in my room. Someone is spying on me. And I just started laughing. I just started laughing and I felt this, this joy. And you know what I heard? I felt I heard the, the father say, I felt, I felt, he said, you know, Marcus, I hear you. When we were in West Papua last, last, uh, when we were in West Papua last uh, summer, it's so funny. I remember we went to, early on when I was praying before the trip, I felt one message that God wanted me to preach was about Elijah and how Elijah in the Bible, if you don't know who Elijah is, he's a prophet of God and he was coming against this woman by the name of Jezebel and she had taken all the other prophets of God and turned them against God and she um, and so he puts it to the test and he gathers all the prophets and he calls down fire from heaven. And yeah, it's pretty epic. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to speak that word of encouragement to the people. I didn't know where, I didn't know when, I didn't know what God, like just, I just knew that was a message God wanted me to preach. And I knew it in prayer. I'd already written it down in my journal. We go through our trip. We're having a, a fantastic time, powerful time. The Papuan people love me cause I look just like them. <laughs> and, uh, we go to this one church, it's a church called Bethel. It was in the mountain. We had to take, you know, a curvy road to get there. We were in the middle of nowhere. I was like, Lord, if our car breaks down, you know, Lord, like, you know, my car, like, the car can't break down. I'm not married yet. Like, come on, God, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and we get there to this church and we preach and I preach the message on Elijah. I preach the message on Elijah and people are acting kind of funny and I'm like, what's going on? What's I'm like, is my preaching? Like, am I making some mistakes? Like, do I need to go back and, you know? And then afterwards, the pastor comes up to us and he's like, you know, it's so funny that you preach that. And I was like, why? He's like, yeah, the past three services we've had, uh, three, two other missionaries came and they preached the exact same message. And once again, I heard God be like, I hear you. See, the measure of faith that you have is strong enough to move mountains. The faith that you have is strong enough to perform miracles. The faith that you have is strong enough and it is powerful enough and the consistency of it is enough to do all that Jesus calls you to do. You just got to start focusing on that. Start focusing on what you believe and not what you doubt. And then when you start praying for other people, you start interceding for other people, God starts putting you in positions where he confirms what he's already spoken to you when no one else was watching. It's time for us to have faith in our faith. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet.